Thank you. I, I always come across that patch of text where you get the names of, of all these, you know, the, the 12, and you get like, however you say it, I can't say it either, Boanerges or something. I thought, I'm so glad my mom didn't name me that. I can never even pronounce my name. <laughs> and, then, and then you get the name, the list of all these people, and you think, Jesus, when you read through the Gospel of Mark, and Jesus worked with these people, sometimes Jesus is just going, is this Simon, Andrew, James, John, or Larry, Curley, and Moe? I mean, who are these folks? Because they have such a hard time getting it right. But it's interesting that we have some of these folks designated and named in the process. Now, this series, if you're here last week or brave enough to be back, is about priorities in ministry. Talked and started last time by saying that in ministry, whether inside the church or outside the church, if you don't know where you're going, you are... You're going to get there. Surely you're going to get there if you don't know where you're going. So we need to know where we're, we're heading. And the premise is, is that Jesus provides us, and there, there's two points to this that go together, and you need to understand both of them. Jesus not only provides us with a direction for ministry, and ministries probably because there isn't one way we do ministry. I talked about inside and outside the church. But we find in the Gospels, and in our case the Gospel of Mark, not only a direction for the ministry so we know where we're going, but Jesus also shows us how to get there. Because those two things go together. The method of Jesus' ministry and how He goes about doing it embeds within itself a destination. And so you can't have one without the other. The two go together. And so in following and looking for destination and how Jesus goes about doing it, we get the two of them together. So that's what we're about and we're tracing particularly with this series, Jesus and his ministry with the disciples. Now, there's a good reason for that. As we saw last week, when Jesus actually begins his ministry, when Jesus sets about changing the world, he begins with people. And he begins with an episode, much like this, this group read about, with Jesus calling people to follow him. It's the first thing Jesus does. It's where he begins. So we should follow this process. If that's how Jesus starts, and as we see as we work our way through the Gospel of Mark, that's how Jesus continues. It's something very worthwhile for us to tend to and learn from. So that's what we're about. So we looked at last week that Jesus began with people. The first thing, launches the ministry, calls these people, doesn't begin with a program, doesn't begin with a website, doesn't begin with a treat. And programs and all those kind of things are necessary and they're good, but we don't want the servant to become the master. All of those who are in bed within them are a priority of people. Now, Jesus begins with this. We noted that this is deliberate. Jesus takes the initiative to begin this way, and when he starts, he says, I've got to get a few people around me in who I'm going to invest. And it's through these people that God then is going to change the world. Now, the basic instruction for it, we started last week in chapter 1, 16 to 20 then. He calls these people and he says, follow me. The summons, the call is personal. It has to do with following Jesus. Now, this week we're going to pick up when we've got that incident of calling and the first interaction with the disciples Chapter 2, we get another calling, this time of a tax collector. Must have been the Judean IRS or some sort of thing, whatever it was. But the first time, we then we, the next episode we come to, 
where there's actually a focused interaction with those whom Jesus calls comes up here in chapter 3. Let's go there to the text, chapter 3, verses 13 to 15, and just make a few observations about what it is that Jesus is doing. So Mark chapter 3, beginning with verse 13. Now it says, He went up on the mountain. They've been down along the sea so far for most of what seems to be happening in a few villages. And now we step aside, and for the first time he goes up on a mountain. Now we... If you're biblically aware of this, the Jews define themselves by, we are children of Abraham who became slaves in Egypt. And God led us out of slavery in Egypt and delivered us and took us to the mountain, took us to Mount Sinai. And that's the place where God entered into covenant with us. And from there, by a rather circuitous path through the wilderness, eventually brought us into the land that was promised to our father Abraham, who had many sons. Many, many sons had five. Let's not get off on that digression here. But you know what I'm talking about, all right? So when they're talking about going up on the mountain, this is significant. That's the thing that should make our biblical antennas sit up and pay, and pay attention here. He goes up on the mountain, and he called to him. Here we go. We're back to that call kind of language. He called to him those whom he desired. Back again here, we're to this point where Jesus has taken initiative here. He's, he's watched, and he's prayed, and he's fasted, and he's been on the lookout for those. And he said, these are the folks. I'm going to call them to come to him. Those are the ones I want to work with. It's a deliberate, it's an initiative on Jesus' part. And, the, and as we saw with the earlier stories, they come to him. And then Jesus does two things here. Well, that, I mean, that's the first. The second was then he appoints 12. Now, we know 12 is another significant number biblically. Last week, we talked about Mark prefaces this whole story about Jesus by taking us back to Isaiah chapter 40. Now, Isaiah chapter 40 was that section where Isaiah spoke of a day that was come when when. The northern kingdom of Israel had been destroyed, and the southern kingdom of Judah had been destroyed. And the leadership led off into exile, and the temple of God and the city of Jerusalem destroyed. And Isaiah says, this is not God's final word. God's going to bring us a king like David who will restore Israel. And when you hear that number 12, you think, Israel. So we're on a mountain, and he's appointing 12. Now, the appointment of the twelve has two stated purposes here. We often see the second, we ignore the first. And he appointed twelve, first of all, to be with him. Just left. The second one he's going to tell us a bit more about. And to be sent out. So, twofold purpose to this appointing, to be with him, to be sent out. Now, he's going to make a couple of additional comments about the sending out. Here's the reason, the purpose, the goal of this sending out. One is to preach. The second is to have authority to cast out demons. They don't just go out and say, oh, there's a demon. They're going to be given. It's not their own. They're going to be given authority to do this. Now, note here the preaching and having authority to cast out demons 
are two things that have, Jesus has already been done and have been characterized of him. If you go to chapters you know, 1, 2, uh, up to this point, Jesus says things and does things, and people go, whoa, where does this authority come from? This is not like the stuff we typically see. But he's preaching, he's teaching, and he's casting out demons. Now, it's interesting at that point, then, we, we've got these people named, and you seem to be back into Jesus saying and doing things and getting into arguments and so on. But when you go to our second text for today, over in chapter 6, note the way Jesus or Mark picks this back up again, because this is the next episode that focuses specifically on Jesus dealing with this group of people he's called. So chapter 6, verse 7. And he called to him the twelve. All right, we are right back to chapter 3. That's where we got introduced to the twelve, we got him named, and we were told about what the purpose of him calling, appointing these twelve would be. And he called him the twelve, and he began to send them out. Oh, well, we've heard that before. We were told in chapter 3 that was going to happen. It didn't happen yet, but it was going to happen, and now it's actually taking place. He sent them out two by two. Sounds like they're going to the ark up in Kentucky or something. He began to send them out and gave them authority over unclean spirits. This is what he was talking about, the purpose, Jesus' intention of appointing the twelve. They're going to preach. They're going to have authority over unclean spirits. And we get it stated both way in Mark, uh, people who are controlled by demons or, uh, or whatever, unclean spirits. So... At this point, we're alerted. Okay, he said he was going to do things in chapter 3. Now what's actually taking place? Now go on down then to verse 12. After we're told a bit about how they're to go out and what they're supposed to do and so on, leave your phones behind. We don't want you guys playing games on your phones when you're out here supposed to be preaching and stuff. All these sorts of instructions. We get down to verse 12. So they went out and preached that men and women should repent. That was what Jesus' ministry consisted of, 1, 14 to 15. It was the first element of Jesus' preaching. It was the first element of John the Baptist's preaching. And preached that should repent, and they cast out many demons, not a few, many demons, and anointed with oil many that were sick, and they were healed. Now, you recognize here again what these people are doing and what they have been given authority to do are the very exact things Jesus has been doing. Preaching, teaching, seeing the sick healed, seeing demons cast out. Up to this point in the gospel, Jesus has been doing that stuff left and right. Now he's got these 12 appointed to actually extend the ministry of Jesus. But it's interesting if you think back to chapter 3. Back in chapter 3, we were told two things, that they were appointed to be with him and that they were appointed to be sent out. Now, we've got the sending out piece, what happened with the with him. Well, I think what Mark's trying to tell us is the with him is what takes place between chapter 3 and chapter 6. Let's look at this a bit. If you go back to chapter 3, uh, we immediately followed after this uh, episode that, uh, where, where they're called, uh, first of all, we get his family that appears, and they are not sure what to make him. Is he out of his mind? And then we have these people that come up from 
uh, Jerusalem, and uh, it said that there's scribes from Jerusalem. Now, last week we talked about there's in the opening of, of Matthew when Jesus comes into Galilee dramatically preaching the gospel. It's almost like you hear this soundtrack. We played a little bit of that you know, last week. Well, in this point where you've got these guys coming from, from you know, the scribes coming from Jerusalem, it's almost like, guys, there's a soundtrack to this too. Sounds something like this. Okay, so you get the idea, and I filled this in. Now, you're never going to be able to read this passage again, you're going to think. I'm going to hear that stupid Star Wars stuff. Here I go. So I've ruined, I've ruined this whole thing for you. But there we go. You just can't read some of these without filling this stuff in. Now, you notice they have this large controversy with the people who were their most respected people in their society. The scribes from Jerusalem actually think this guy is casting out demons by the power of the chief demon. And then his family's back on the scene, and... They tell him he's looking for, that they're looking for him, and he says, in the presence of his mother and his, his siblings, whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Why are people responding to him this way, and why is Jesus saying some of these things? Well, right away you go to chapter 4, and we get the parable of the soils. And we, we lay this stuff out, and I know what happens in response. Verse 10, and when he was alone, those who were about him with the twelve, Twelve haven't disappeared. They are still here with Jesus when this stuff's going on. When he's in this heated argument with, with the, the, the Jewish leaders, and when he's having these kind of crazy interactions with his family, the twelve are still there. When you get down to chapter 4, 33 to 34, at the end of this section of teaching, one of those rare patches of teaching in Mark, uh, this whole series of parables, it says in verse 34, he did not speak to them without a parable. But privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. He had stuff to explain because they were there with him and they could hear it. On down in chapter 5, we've got these people still with him. And Jesus casts out an unclean spirit. They're witnesses to this. We get on farther down in chapter 5. And a woman touches Jesus' garment and is healed. And Jesus senses the power coming out of him. And after this episode, uh, verse 31... His disciples said to him, the disciples are still there witnessing stuff. They're with him. They're watching. They're seeing. They're hearing what's going on. Chapter 6, verse 1. He went away from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. Well, they can't follow him unless they were with him outside his own country and then were still with him when they got to his own country. So you've got this whole series of episodes of teaching in chapter 4, where they're with him. And then ministry at the end of chapter 4, healing and deliverance that takes place in chapter 4 and chapter 5. And these folks are with him through it all. So when it comes to chapter 6, it's now Jesus is able to be sent out because this has been, ministry has been modeled for him. They've seen it, how it's to be done, how it's not to be done. Don't start a television ministry, Jesus tells them. But they've witnessed, they've learned, they've questioned, and they've been a part of this. And now it's the point we can get to the second part of the purpose of their appointment to begin with. Because they have been with him, now Jesus can say, it's time to go and do what you have seen me doing. 
Well, let's pull some of this stuff together. How does Jesus work with the people he selects? Now, one of the things I really hate in sermons is when people use alliteration. So let me use some alliteration. Just this once, okay? All right, one time I'll try and get away with it. Let's try and find some way to pull certain things together out of what we observe from chapter 3 to chapter 6. Really, Jesus' second interaction with disciples, with people he calls, people he appoints, and it's one large episode that I think really belongs together. First of all, if Jesus' method or his strategy is with, with persons, it centers on persons, then the implementation of this is personal. It's relational. It's out of this interaction with the people he calls. It isn't just, see, go take this book and read it and take the online quiz and then come back when it's all done. Now, there are things we benefit from reading and doing this kind of interaction, but there's much more to it that in what Jesus does. It's modeled. This is how it's done. This is certainly how it's not done. But it takes, there's a cost, there's a personal element of actually showing people what it's like to carry out this ministry. Now, there is an almost an endless selection of places where we need models today. How do we mentor young couples into marriage and get them prepared in a world that verily does very little to actually support them? Where are those people out there who will take it upon themselves to say, here's what it looks like. Come over and spend a weekend at our house. Go with us on vacation. I mean, who will actually say, you become an instrumental part of our life, and you've got to live with us and see how it's done and it's not done. We also need people who will take up the children that are just the detritus of our society because we have done so little to support, to support families and help them to raise children. You need to step into some of this stuff and, and see what it is to have a seven-year-old in your house who has never seen a boundary in his life. And you think, what's ahead? And the problem is, is that we've got them by the score in this city. By the score. And it, the casualties are mounting from the direction our culture is headed. We need some people who can help mentor people into that kind of ministry. We need folks who will mentor young pastors into what does it mean to pastor a church in a post-Christian society when you can't just assume all those trappings, that people will know verse 1 out of the Bible. Or the only thing they've ever heard of Jesus is a swear word. Really? That's who Jesus is? How do we mentor people into being pastors differently for that kind of setting? Now, we could go on and we could go on and we could go on. But we need folks who will say, this is how it's done. Come along with us. Now, Jeff isn't going to do that for everybody. Dawn isn't going to do that for everybody. And Eric isn't going to do that for everybody. And we could go all around the room here. But we've got to find those places. Where has God gifted us? Where has God placed us? Where has God equipped us? Now, who is it that God wants us to walk along and learn into ministry? We've got to bring people along with us and model how it's done and how it's not done. And we don't always know how it's not done until we make mistakes. Got to be vulnerable enough to let people see that stuff. 
But ministry is also missional. You know, that's one of my favorite words. But you know here there's a point at which ministry is modeled, and then Jesus just says, okay, guys, out the door you go. It's on you. Do it on your, on your own. There's a place at which you've got to trust. You give people the freedom to succeed, freedom to fail, freedom to learn. But it's time to step out on your own and actually grow into that responsibility. And my guess is most of us have found with ministry, we were never fully ready when we got shoved into it. There you go. Constantine wants to come up and say, I'm going to let you take up the offering. I appreciate you saying that stuff. But there's a place at which you say, all right, it's been modeled for you. Now it's time to pick it up and by the power of God step into this. Now finally here, ministry is mentored. Look on down if you've still got your Bible. Chapter 6, verse 30. This is after they've been sent out. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Now you can imagine this group of folks. <laughs> Peter only cast out six demons. I got nine. <laughs> Whatever sort of stuff went on. I said for this stuff to work, I mentioned this last week, it's going to take a lot of God's good humor to actually train us and walk us into ministry. I imagine there was a lot of laughter and crying and sharing when they came back. But ministry was mentored. It wasn't modeled, and then missional sent out. They came back, and the relationship, the relational element of this continued. It was a loop of learning from one another, of going out and trying it and come back and talking and praying together and laughing and crying together and saying, all right, here we go again, back after it. Jesus' choice about the way to change the world is to find a few people, to select them and invest in them, to train them, to see them go after it, to see them succeed, to see them fail, but to pay the price it took to invest in a select few whom he's chosen. We saw it when he selected a few last week in chapter 1. We see the investment taking place here from chapter 3 to chapter 6, the next big episode of Jesus and the disciples, and says, this is the way it's going to get done. It's the time, the sweat, the tears, the laughter that takes over time with personal investment in the God who's led into your care. Let's pray together. Lord, help us in a, in a time where we sense demands of, of family, of work, of studies, of so many things, and a, the, the demands of ministry that just seem to be unceasing and go on and on and on to find a way in the midst of that to say, if this is how you conducted ministry and this is how you showed it for us, that I have the courage to say, I'm going to cut out and name right in the midst of this priorities of where my ministry and the ministry you've called me to is going to be directed and how to go about doing it. Who are the people you've brought across our path that you're calling us to invest in in a, in a deep, joyful costly, long-lasting, relational manner. If it was good enough for you, I think certainly it's good enough for me and for the rest of us as well.